Okay. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Amen. Wow, quite quite a, a dramatic passage and added to the drama. I actually managed to uh, shut down my whole system right there while I was being read, but I'm glad you all continued without me. Um, I want to pick up a little bit on last week. Uh, remember, we talked about vulnerability. We looked at the example of Paul and um, his come to this realization of humility, of, you know, power in weakness, his thorn in the flesh and uh, how God spoke to him. So he began to boast in his weakness. Um, well, I want to reflect a little bit about along those lines of what we see in the life of Jesus and how he expresses his compassion, but he goes beyond compassion. So I kind of entitled this Compassion Plus. So Lazarus, now Lazarus was a good friend of Jesus. His home was a place that Jesus was familiar with, uh, with Martha and Mary. And uh, earlier in the story, we read that Lazarus was sick and um, and word was sent to Jesus, but he doesn't go immediately. Um, in fact, by the time he arrives, we're told in the text that Lazarus has been buried for four days. He would have been buried within 24 hours, but nevertheless, some time had, uh, had gone by. But still mourning was continuing. His town was pretty close to Jerusalem. Groups had come out from there. It would be traditional in that culture for people to come and gather and mourn. In fact, some people would, there would be professional mourners, you know, people would hire mourners, depending upon the, um, um, <clears throat> kind of the importance of the person who had died. Uh, and once again, in the, in where we pick up the, um, the story, we see Mary at Jesus's feet. Remember, Mary is the one who sat at Jesus's feet, listening to his teaching, whilst Martha was busying herself preparing a meal. Um, but this time Mary's not so much listening, but talking. Um, actually, this time she's confused. She's disappointed. Uh, perhaps even there's an element of complaint through her tears. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Interesting, these are the exact same words as we read earlier in the story that came from Martha. But with Mary, it comes with the emotion, with the, the sadness, the visible grief. And it struck me that 
as well as coming and listening to God, and he loves it when we listen to his voice and want to hear his word, he can cope with our complaints. He can cope with our frustrations, our disappointment, our confusion. And it's appropriate that we would do that and bring that. I love how the Psalms are often full of these kinds of words as we wrestle with the reality of a kingdom come, but are not complete even today. Now, when Jesus responded to Martha and the same words, he gave her words about the promise of the kingdom uh, and words fitted Martha. I love the way that God meets us and speaks to us in ways that are appropriate to us because he knows us. He knows our personality. With Mary, he doesn't respond with words. It's amazing. Jesus responds with tears, with compassion. He's moved and troubled by his friend. He's troubled by the uh, the reality of the death of his own friend, Lazarus. Lazarus. He's moved by the grief that he sees, the pain of death, the impact of sin, not just for his friend, but for all of humanity. And God is there in the midst of it. And he brings not judgment, but he brings compassion. And we have what's often referred to as the shortest verse in the Bible. It is It's two words, Jesus wept. It's a poignant, powerful verse because it shows that that God is affected by our suffering. It affects him, our struggles, our despair. And the wondrous thing about Jesus in his life is he, he associates with us in humility. He identifies with us in our humanity and even in our dying and our death. For him by crucifixion. God is vulnerable. And he expresses his vulnerability through tears. As a man. Guys. He's a man. And he's weeping with us. And that's how God demonstrates his compassion. How God invites us to do the same. When he says weep with those who weep. Mourn with those who mourn. I just want to pause for a moment. For you to, in a way, respond to the Lord who is with us, this same Jesus, this same God of all compassion, as Paul writes about him in Second Corinthians. How does God want to draw near to you? How do you need him to do that? How do you need him to meet you in perhaps your confusion or your sadness or your pain? What comfort from his love? Do we allow him to do that? Is our relationship more than rational? Is it an experience of the spirit, the comforter, that the comforter Jesus said that he would send to us? And do we allow him to meet us in that place? But as I said, we we also must go beyond compassion and comfort. We cannot stay in that place. It's important we start there because God does. It's important that we see that God is deeply moved. Though God also acts in faith. And faith sometimes means we act not according to sight or logic. Uh, And in many ways, it's a picture of, I think, what the Christian life is about. Yes, it's, it's the God, he's the God man. He's the one who shows us how to live. There's an invitation to live out our lives in a physical, natural, material way. But there's a supernatural dimension to our life in Christ. We've been born again of the spirit as well as of water, natural and supernatural. 
there's a connection in our lives now through the spirit with God and therefore with the authority of God and his kingdom and of his power. Now, it's interesting that at this point, when Jesus steps out in faith, he meets resistance in Martha. This often happens. It happens to Jesus, you know, when he, you know, when he's baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit and the the spirit, you know, takes him into the wilderness. It's in that place of brokenness, of hunger, that he meets the enemy and the enemy strikes. We too, when we act in faith, when we walk according to the word of God and the promises of God, even though it doesn't seem to be real or likely, we will, fear, we will face resistance. We'll face it within ourselves. The Anglican liturgy in baptism speaks about our struggle being against the world of the flesh and the devil, the world system, not people per se, but the system of this world, the flesh, ourselves, within ourselves, and the adversary, the devil the accuser of the brethren. And it's important that we've got to learn, even in our pain, to press through beyond, to see beyond the natural, to understand that as well as our story, there's a bigger story taking place. It's God's story. It's this greater narrative of God's acting and God's promise to bring things to fulfillment and completion. And we're invited to, to act and live according to that reality, sometimes over and above what seems to be our reality. And when Jesus responds to Martha um, earlier, he'd said, did I not tell you? <laughs> In other words, I've said it, Martha. This is the word of the Lord. Did you hear it? Did you believe it? Uh, do I need to remind you? He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do we live as if it is true? You see, we're people of the promise. We're people who live according to the word of God and the promises of God. And this is where his word is so vital in our lives. It's a living word. It's a word that brings light to our path. It's a word that gives us life, I believe. And uh, and I want to encourage you that if there are words that the Lord has spoken into your life, encouragements, um, allow those to be kindled afresh, to be stirred up. You know, we have a responsibility in this. As Paul writes to Timothy, you know, stir up the gift of God which is in you. Now, I think fundamentally that's the spirit of God, but it's the word and the spirit working together. Perhaps there have been words spoken over you, and this may be a time to revisit those to bring those before the Lord, to ask faith to arise in your heart. I know I've had several words spoken over my life, and I was reminded as I was reflecting about this, of um, before I even went to seminary and just being prayed over by um, my pastor and a group of elders, and just words of revival, words of a move of God that to my mind is unfulfilled yet, but I'm believing for something of God. And I, I found that brought back to mind, and I wanted to lay that before the Lord because of his promises to us. But how does, the question is, how does Jesus do this? How do we do it? How do we not get consumed by the natural and our circumstances and sometimes our pain? And and sometimes we want to languish there and have our pity party and receive all the comfort we can get. But how do we push through that? How do we press beyond? 
And I think it's pretty clear, and it's clear in the text, that for Jesus, it's his relationship with the Father. It all comes from him. He said in John's word, he can do nothing without the Father. And uh, his confidence is in him, in the Father. And uh, it must be no different for us either. The reason Jesus came is to bring us to the Father. It's to bring us back. You know, that wonderful imagery of the prodigal and uh, the the father longing, yearning for the return of his son. And and it's this relationship fundamentally. Now, we can't be in relationship without the father, without the son and without the spirit. (laughs) And Jesus prays about that in John 17. But it's this understanding of our sonship, our daughtership, that we are co-heirs with Christ. We are children of God. We have a father who loves us and is for us. And this is why he sent his son, not just to live, but to die for us. And in that confidence, as Jesus prayed, you know, and he's praying, he says, you know, I'm praying to you, Father, not because I need this, because these people need it. You see, we struggle to believe in that which we can't see, but this is the life of faith. And nevertheless, we speak the words out. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. It's the voice of the Lord. The voice that spoke over creation, the voice that speaks into chaos. It's the voice that the psalmist, that I love that Psalm 29, the voice over the waters, the chaos of the waters that brings forth beauty, creation, healing, redemption, words of life. Now, these are words that are spoken after the stone is rolled away. I think there's something in that for us. You see, there's a part for us to play. It's not a passive role. It's an active. There's something for us to do. There's stones to remove. We've got to clear the way for the word of God and the life of God. We do that by the Spirit's help. God God helps us even in that. Um, But it's a reminder again, what, what stones is the Lord exposing in my life, particularly in these circumstances? This is a time for pressing through. I kind of wrote about this week. This is not a time to shrink back. This is actually a time to do business with God, to do business in our families, in our relationships, in our community, I believe, as well, to press into something deeper, even though the enemy would want to pull us apart and isolate us. And I, and I would encourage again and again, this is where our friendships, both with our spouses, if we're married, but with others as well, friendships where there is a genuineness of mutual love and accountability, where we speak the truth in love where we learn the language of, um, I kind of call it soul talk. I know Brad and Jan went on a, a soul, I think it was called soul talk as well, a uh, different author, but it's this idea we, we speak the language of the soul, which is the mind, the heart, and the will, you know, everything that we are, but infused with the life of the spirit. We've been looking at this a little bit recently on our in our Wednesday studies. Um, and recently our, uh, we were reminded about how we hear the word of the Lord most clearly when our lives are yielded most fully. That's the starting point. It's not, well, if I like what I hear, I might kind of follow through God. (laughs) We'd like to, to kind of be in control like that. But, but I think it's the, it's the, it's the life that is yielded, the will that is surrendered, that hears the word of the Lord. And part of the removing of the stone is, is the letting go is the relinquishing control is the need to to, to keep hold of trusting that our God is good. And then as we listen, the revelation comes and the opportunity for us to respond. 
And that's the pattern, revelation and response. The word of God and the spirit of God working in tandem over lives surrendered. You know, I can talk about my my kind of growing up with this self-reliance. I think that was one of the stones. For some of us, it's the, the shame, the self-protection, the need to be in control. Again, I invite you to use this time of, to invite the spirit to uh, kind of expose the stones and to allow that to happen in relationship with others. This is risky. This is scary. But you see, this is where our need of acceptance plays in. You know, we're, we're still called to love each other at the point of where we are. Even if we never change, this is what love is. This is why this is to be rooted in uh, covenant love for one another as well as for the Lord. And, and in that place, um, allow the Lord to do his work, that new life would come forth, that the power of God and the word of God work within us would, would bring a revival, would bring an awakening among us, would bring the impossible that becomes possible. Anyway, some thoughts I had about compassion, our need for that, and yet also 